day. After a 90-minute executive session on Tuesday to discuss the issue, Montgomery County commissioners decided to tighten restrictions on access to library books with LGBTQ plus themes by children younger than the age of 18. The motion applies to all seven libraries in the Montgomery County Memorial Library System and requires the books to be labeled as sexually explicit. The commissioners also agreed to add more conservative-based books to shelves after receiving dozens of complaints from residents, some of whom complained about a lack of books that address traditional views on gender being available in the libraries. Support this local newscast and this station now by going to kpft.org and becoming a member. Thanks for tuning in. For KPFT News, I'm Elise Bench. Hey everybody, this is Glenna Bell. Please join me for my upcoming show, Three Chords and the Truth, Saturday mornings at 8 here on KPFT Houston. Welcome to Growing Up in America here on 90.1 FM KPFT Pacifica Radio, a discussion on our children, public policy, and how we as a city and community do when it comes to taking care of all of our kids. Growing Up in America is a production of Children at Risk, the Voice of Texas Children, a nonprofit organization dedicating to re- dedicated to research, public policy, law, and collaborative action on behalf of Texas youth. Each week, we aim to fill these same 60 minutes with lively discussion on the children of Texas with experts on the quality of life for our children. My name is Claire Duce, and I'm joined here with Sharon Jones and... Ava Jansak. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Ava is one of our interns that we will be hearing with or hearing from later today. We're also going to be speaking with some other great guests, including Dr. Steve Keldler with UT Health, Susanna Young with Texas A Plus Children at Risk, Texas A Plus. Apologize, academic performance coach, and then our very own as well, Kim Coffrin, our senior director of education. So we hope you'll stay with us throughout this show as we discuss different issues that affect children in Houston and children of Texas. So I think we are ready for our first segment. Did you give the teaser for the data? I didn't. I'm happy to do Go that. For it. <laughs> One of our regular segments is the data of the day. And our teaser number today is 41%. So any guesses as to? 41. It's always not high enough, but too low. I'm thinking that may be the number of teachers who are excited to return to the classroom in <laughs> August. She sounds pretty high. <laughs> Remember when the July, mid-July hits? It's like, oh, yes, oh here you start, it comes. You start counting down yeah. like, oh. Oh my god some go back end of july too so yeah yeah that might be the 40 maybe 41 percent are returning at the end of july or maybe it's a number of kids excited to return <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's the number of sales at the um what is it called the big warehouse of classroom supply store yeah that's the increase they're seeing this month awesome do you have a guess ava i kind of like the guess that's um the number of people excited the return or potentially the number of people that aren't excited the return. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, right. a little bit higher i used to i used to be really excited and then by the third week i'm like okay now we're back i can tell team. you my college kid is excited to return oh to, yeah the college yeah. excitement <laughs> is, is definitely real when you're home for the summer for the first time awesome well we will be excited to hear from layla and see what that's about and we are ready to go ahead and get some music going Thumbs up, thumbs down. All right. So every week we do a thumbs up, thumbs down. I need confirmation, but we've started also including them on our Instagram story at children at risk. No space, no uppercase. That's just at children at risk on Instagram. If you would go ahead, head over there and join this conversation. But what is today's topic, Sharon? Is boredom good for kids? Is boredom good for kids? So I... let me just say, as the <laughs> as the Gen Xer on this panel, <laughs> when I was a kid, you better not say you were bored during the summer. <laughs> Or you would end up mowing lawns or cleaning a garage or, you know. <laughs> they but, capitalize on boredom. Right. But as a parent, for my little one's boredom, 
could be a good thing because otherwise, you know, you want to limit devices. You want to encourage, you know, the old worksheets and other, um, you know, summer learning experiences. And then also boredom give kids reasons to to find ways to entertain themselves, which, you know, can benefit them later from the, the exploration. That being said, it's probably not the best thing for your teenagers to be bored because, you know, teen boredom can lead to all kinds of stuff you don't <laughs> yeah, want them to explore. <laughs> usually does just zone into social media. I know this was an interesting question that I saw because I didn't never thought about, I don't know, it like this boredom just as a concept as something that could be good or bad. Yeah. But it, it is interesting. Like you said, I... Ours, you wouldn't say it because you would get scolded if mom was in a bad mood <laughs> and told to go outside and play, exactly. um, which, which is exciting. I, I hope, par- not exciting to get yelled at, but exciting to be told to go outside and play because that encourages exploration sure, and sure. social construct I, and I mean, contact. I, I was the kid that we didn't have cell phones and we mm-hmm. were just, you know, you drink from the water hose and you play outside all day and you get on your bikes and you go find your friends and you just wreak havoc until you know the street lights come on (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that was pretty much the signal to go home yeah no and even kids now they'll be on their phone just scrolling and scrolling while Mm -hmm. saying i'm bored i'm bored and so the idea of like putting the phone down and this is going to sound super psychological but sitting in the boredom yeah and thinking about what else you can do outside of that phone what about you ava what was your upbringing like um, so I have a younger brother. Uh, he's actually 18 today. It's his birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Ava's brother. Um, but when we were kids and if we ever said that we were bored, my mom would be like, y'all have each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's oh, a great answer. Go, go find something to do. Um, yeah, but great answer. Cause again, playing with siblings. Um, yeah, I, it's an interesting thumbs up, thumbs down, but I'm very much thumbs up for the sake of. They're able to be creative and mm-hmm. not bored as in go sit on your phone and just be bored for hours. Right, but right. Put the phone down and be with your siblings, be more present, go outside, find new hobbies. Yeah, I think you haven't lived if you haven't had at least one speargrass fight in Texas during <laughs> your summer summer break. So I personally have not lived because I have not had a speargrass I'll fight. see if I can arrange that. But I have the Louisiana summer bike to a snowball stand there pretty often or the hundreds of them around me. Love so it. fun. Awesome. So if you would like to say if your thumbs up, thumbs down, or just send us a chat on the conversation, head to our Instagram story at children at risk. Now moving on to our first guest, we are excited to welcome back Dr. Steve Kelder. Dr. Kelder, how are you today? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. We are so excited to continue to have you on and go to a new conversation. I know last time we talked a little bit about vaping, if I'm correct, Um, but this time we're going to talk about extreme weather, which is, I feel, very relevant as our summers feel quite extreme at the moment. (laughs) <laughs> it does feel extreme, doesn't it? I will say it's hotter in Austin, though, right now than it is in, in Houston. So you, you guys have me. You have it better today. I know. Is your humidity pretty similar, or do you all get a little more breeze up there? Well, I mean, the humidity's worse. <laughs> so so you are feeling it double. The heat index will probably even out. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess two. to start, I know... Uh, um, we're all feeling it. It's the jokes are being made, but it's scary too because you are now hearing conversations that this will actually be the projected coolest summer we have um, from this point forward. Can you speak a little bit to that? Well, you know those projections are based on very complicated models that uh, have you know levels of certainty, but it, it does seem that you know the projections into the future ten, twenty, thirty, fifty years might make it that this is going to be a cool summer um, when our kids are all grown up and having their own kids. So that, that's a, a very strong possibility. Yeah, and what I, I think some of us might know, but what are the implications of this? And then what are the causes that we could try to point to well, sure. to fix? You know, I might mention uh, a, a recent report from the EPA called uh, Climate Change in Children's Health. 
Uh, so your readers might want to look at that, and it has lots of stuff in it, and that's where I'm drawing a little bit of my conversation here. But, you know, he, stress from climate can fall into a couple different health buckets. And one is just the heat stress that we're experiencing right now. You know, that can lead, you know, for pregnant mothers. It could be preterm birth, underweight kids. That has all sorts of long-term implications. There's air quality with wire fires. There's allergies and pollen with changing growing seasons. And then something you guys know about in Houston, coastal flooding. And then on top of it all, infectious disease changes. So we could talk about any one of those that you want to. Yeah. You know, we're, we're seeing that there are um, there's a, a, a slight uptick, even if it's anecdotal, of uh, COVID cases in Houston. And so I'm wondering how much of that can be related to, you know, uh, being being indoors as a result of the heat or being in close proximity to one another because of summer break. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, we, we experienced uh, COVID when, when we were out and about in office buildings and in schools and, and other areas. And, and, and now that the, uh, the, the pandemic is receding, uh, I think people are out and, and you know, going to movies and, and doing things in malls and, and so on. But uh, uh, certainly uh, being cooped up indoors with large numbers of people will lead to an in, increase, a tick up in, in COVID rates. But um, I'm confident the vaccines and, uh, and other features that people are having are, are going to have a positive effect on that. We were just talking a minute ago about the pros and cons of um, boredom for kids in the summer. And so we were, in light of that, talking about kind of the go outside and play uh, mentality that a lot of parents employ, including including myself when my kids were small. What should we be aware of um, weather-wise to keep our kids safe as we encourage them to be outside and explore? Well, you know, I was listening to that segment, and I was thinking the exact same thing. You know, um, I might be a little older than you guys, but I was told to go outside, too. <laughs> and, and don't come back, either. That's right. <laughs> We're cleaning up the house. Just go out. Go back at dinner time. So, but it's a little harder now, especially in the South. I mean, I grew up in Illinois. But, yeah. uh, right now, climate and heat stress is a real thing. And, you know, when the temperatures reach a certain level, there's vulnerabilities and Children are different. They're not little mini adults when it comes to heat and heat exhaustion. And so, you know, one, one very clear message right now um, is that never leave a child in a hot car. Mm-hmm. That does happen sometimes. I think it's worth repeating. I think it's common sense. We all know it, but we, we can start with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but but after that, uh, there's, there's things that can happen. So if you're going to send your kids outside, maybe make sure they have a water bottle. Hydrate often. Maybe it's better to do it earlier in the day or later in the day when the temperatures are cooler. Um, And to think about shade and resting and cooling off for our kids when we send them outside. Yeah, and on the topic, uh, kind of moving from heat, and like I said, as a child of Louisiana, it's always in my mind. We are sitting and approaching the cusp of hurricane season, thinking about hurricane readiness, prepared. What are some tips or advice you have for families that might be prepared and also ways that they can help kind of ease their children um, to explain what might be happening as we may possibly have one pass by? Yeah, well, you know, that, that that's a big topic, too. We have coastal flooding, hurricanes, um, inland flooding that happens down uh, in, all, <laughs> over there in, in Houston. I mean, you guys know better than I do that that's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, the impact of talking about uh, uh, about what's happening in other parts of the world and how it might happen here, that could lead to what's now being called eco-anxiety. And so just being careful about uh, answering questions that your kids might have and explain to them how, how things happen. If you're in the middle of an event, now that, that is a, a whole other issue. If you're in a flood, if you, if you have to leave your home, um, you have to think then about what happens afterwards that pass when, when you reach safety. And so there's potential uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder depression, anxiety. So just keep, keep, an, eye, keep an eye on your kids uh, if, if this does happen uh, in, in Houston this summer like it has in, in other summers in the past. Yeah, it's interesting too that you brought up. I have a little bit of anxiety when it comes to weather, especially just seeing the headline after headline getting um, pretty, pretty intense and even seeing when the clock went up mm-hmm. in New York and then around the world basically counting down the days we have based on climate. How do you, where would you point people for resources to not only ease that, but also um, 
maintain some hope and what can we do to advocate and kind of help push for better public health, better research into this to kind of ease that, you know, ticking clock. Yeah. Well, there's all kinds of things. It's, you know, it's the near term and then the short term. And I think, you know, one thing is that this, this extreme weather climate change is, is happening. Um, and there's many steps we need to take in terms of uh, searching for and endorsing and embracing uh, alternative energy. We could just start there. But in terms of what's actually happening outside, when you go outside, you know, I, I would make uh, you know the climate app a friend. <laughs> so what what is the uh, the ozone rating and, and what's the heat index and just sort of knowing what's happening in your local community, and trying to act appropriately uh, with it. But if you suspect that your child is is having some sort of eco anxiety uh, or issues related to it, uh, I think as always visit your pediatrician. Um, and, and try and see what's happening with them physically, psychologically, socially, etc. Yeah, and what are some strategies public health professionals employ to kind of mitigate the health impacts of extreme weather? Well, it's also a tricky question because, you know, heat stress, we just talked about that, air quality, mm-hmm. uh, asthma, that's knowing what's going on with the ozone and the particulate matter that's in the, in the air. Uh, knowing that uh, there's seasonality related to allergies and pollen. Um, and then uh, preparing, I guess, in your area, we don't have to do this so much in Austin, uh, preparing for you know the possibility of coastal flooding related to a hurricane. You know, there's a long list of ways to, to deal with that. Um, I guess just knowing that uh, things, uh, are, things are changing uh, and the weather is uh, probably going to get hotter, uh, and that's going to mean, you know, problems related to hurricanes, flooding, and, and excess heat. Yeah. And to end on a semi-positive note, thinking of all this and even looking <laughs> on a national scope, right, this conversation really stems right now. It's It's been buzzing for a while, but what are some myths and misconceptions that you hear a lot in almost the climate change isn't real, in quotes, conversation that you can bust for us and kind of leave us with some hope? Well, you know, uh, th- th- there are hopeful indicators that, uh, for, for example, that uh, solar power now is is as costly or less costly than uh, fossil fuel uh, as an energy source. Um, that there is a myth that climate change isn't really happening, and then it's just seasonality. Uh, there's there's a myth that uh, most experts uh, don't agree that climate change is real, and that uh, you know that it's human caused. I mean, so sorry, I could go a long time now. Turns into a Climate. How about this? Climate change is real, and we need to prepare for it. There's many ways to do that. Get involved in some way mm-hmm. and educate yourself. Yeah, listen to the experts. We we appreciate you so much, Dr. Calder, for doing good work and also ensuring um, public health is well and good in Texas as much as it can be. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you you uh, having me on the show. If I could plug one thing real quick, I am doing a webinar on child, extreme weather and climate health for kids oh, um, on August 3rd. Just Google MSD Center Current Events. Awesome. And awesome. that is a free open webinar, correct? Oh, yeah, free and open. Yep. Awesome. So I'll go into all these topics in, in greater detail. Awesome. Well, we hope our listeners will tune in as I myself am excited to hear more in that conversation. Thank you so okay. much. Okay, real good. Thanks a lot. Moving on to our next guest, Sharon, did you want to introduce? Sure, I'm happy to introduce our intern, Ava Janchak, who's a, a Children at Risk intern for the summer. You want to just give us a little brief summary of who you are and how you got to Children at Risk this summer? Yeah, um, so I'm a rising junior. Um, I go to Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee, and um, I heard about the internship from one of my friends, and I just thought it seemed like a really good fit. So, Awesome. Can you share kind of what are some things you're working on through your internship or just general topic areas that interest you from the organization? 
Yeah, so um, I'm really interested in education. Um, I've worked in a school. I did so my senior year. I volunteered at several places. Um, I just really like working with kids, um, and I'm a psychology major, so I always find, like, little kids to be really interesting and fun. <laughs> yeah, they are. Watching a development mind, developing mind is, is wild to me and seeing them just explore the world. I would love to stay in the mind of a child in exploration. Ava, you have a very interesting college experience. Can you shine light first? I would love the guests to hear kind of your unique travels that you did in learning and what you studied abroad. But then also when you were a high schooler, for any high schoolers listening, um, how you started exploring college options and beyond yeah so um uh during college um last year I went to Thailand on a school-sponsored study abroad trip um it was the third time that I actually studied abroad I did once when I was in middle school um I went to France to learn French and then I went to Argentina in high school to learn Spanish um but my school is really great in that it employs a lot of study abroad programs, and I went to Thailand specifically to learn about Buddhism and work with the monks um, for an entire month, which was a life-changing experience. Um, as for high school and finding out like more about colleges, um, my high school was a early college high school. Uh, I went to ACC for four years while I was in high school. Um, I highly recommend that for anyone who can uh, get your associate's degree. You get two years of college out of the way, especially if you stay in state. Um, And then when I was looking at colleges, uh, there was a lot of pressure for my family to stay in state because no one in my family has moved out of state. I feel like a lot of Texans can relate to this. Yeah. Um, You you don't think it's a big deal until (laughs) you leave. Yeah. Um, or if it's an A&M family and you're going to UT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or the other way around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my my mom is uh, a proud UT Longhorn mm-hmm. alumni. Um, and I got into UT and did not go there, um, which led to a lot of tension. And now <laughs> my brother, who is 18 and going into his senior year of high school, wants to go to A&M. So she is um, She's in, not having a great, but, but it's ultimately your decision. And how did you, when was the moment when you decided, no, this was the right decision for me. I want to pursue roads over kind of my family's path. Yeah. So um, I was in between UT and Rhodes and Rhodes was the actual, like the only college I could go tour um, because I was applying to schools during COVID. I graduated in 2021. Um and so I went to go tour Rhodes, and I just fell in love with the campus. I could see myself being happy there. Not only that, um, since I had studied abroad in the past, I really wanted to study abroad in college. And I realized that um, one of the great things that Rhodes does is they allow you to study abroad um, for no extra cost added to your tuition. So you pay the exact same tuition with scholarships. with like an exchange board. program? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you get to spend a semester in another country. So um, that was one of the things that like really sold me on roads. Also, their psychology program is excellent. It's a really small school. It's less than 3,000 people. Um, so there's a lot of like one-on-one um, stuff I get to do with the psych department and my advisor. Um, it's just really great. And I feel like if you are a high schooler and you go to a small high school, um, small colleges are kind of the right move. You get a yeah. lot more personal. The, yeah, the community-based. I feel like you crave that. What was the best piece of advice you had when you started? I feel like whenever, and then Sharon, as a parent, I'd love to hear your perspective. You're a teenager, and it's like, okay, I know the time to choose the rest of my life is approaching, or at least it feels like that, college or otherwise. Um, it's overwhelming. There's millions, not, that's not millions, but there's thousands, tens of thousands of universities, options you can go into, skills-based accreditation. So what was the best piece of advice you had, and where did you even start to get a footing? Um, so I think the best piece of advice I have is um, to choose where you want to go based on what you want to do not based on what your family wants you to do. Um, And also, 
life can be very overwhelming. Like you can go into college thinking you're going to major in something and then completely change your mind about halfway through. Um, so I would just say, know that you can change your mind and also know that you may not end up exactly where you think you're going to end up in like 10, 15 years in the future. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like when I was in high school, there was a lot of pressure for me to know exactly what I wanted to do after college, have a plan. Um, and there still is, but I'm kind of learning as I go that what I want to do can change. And there's so much that I want to do. So, um, definitely like looking at different options, understanding, and then like understanding yourself and then picking what is best for you. Yeah. Just at the moment. Sharon, how did you advise college students or high school students on college exploration? One of the things I love that you said is that you've visited it and you've felt like you'd be happy there, you know, with my own children and with other, other children whose lives I've been a part of that is so important, you know, regardless of what that school's, you know, external reputation or what the website says or what your folks say. Um, You know, we, we went through a bit of that with, with our um, eldest child who, you know, was feeling all kinds of pressure to go here or there based on where her dad and I went. And it was just a matter of where do you see yourself being comfortable, being successful and having the support system that you need to get where you want to go in life. And so that, you know, that resonates having had that experience and having experienced it as well um, myself. You know, you just really have to get in where you fit in when it comes to college. And, yeah. you know, if they're if they're accredited and they are producing, you know, the type of professional that you want to be, it really doesn't matter in the end. You do with that diploma what you will. Right, right. And you yourself will be there two, four years. And so, like you said, mm-hmm. if you're not feeling the community if you don't feel like you'd find your support then it means no difference if your mom or dad went there yeah. friend goes there i mean don't our, follow a friend to our college current, our current vice president attended howard university at hbcu that you know is in many circles you know wonderful university but in others you know not preferred to you know yeah. um schools that were predominantly white universities so you know it really is what you do with the degree that you that you earn yeah, and I love the piece on you still might not know what you want to do in college. I changed my major two different times, one in my senior year of college, um, and then changed my career path about three different times post-college. I know the it's not a statistic, but I guess the saying is most everyone that goes into college is undeclared whether they say it or not, and so don't feel pressured to put in a box and also have a little wiggle room of find an interest area and follow that because I mm-hmm. I was under a lot of pressure of like the very black and white careers of doctor, lawyer, engineer, and that's what exists and that's what you'll do. And so do the experiences that you can find and uh, yeah, do the internships, do the different things, meet different people. Definitely hop out of your box. Eva, what would you say for someone right now? They're excited. They did not listen to their parents. They might. They listened to them. But they, they chose for them. They're, they have their degree. They're gung-ho. But they do not know what college life is about to look like. So what would you tell either freshman, not, yeah, freshman year of college, Ava, or any approaching college student now? Um, I would just tell them that college is kind of what you make it. Um, you can be as involved or as little involved as you want to be um I know personally I'm in Greek life uh I work I'm treasurer of a club um I try to be involved but also for any incoming freshman please make time for yourself yeah that was one of the things I had to learn and you really have to do it or else you will get burnt out. You can only pour into others what your cup holds. Exactly. You fill your cup first. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ava. And we will keep you on definitely to pop in the conversation. But we are going to find out what that 41% means next. are 
ready for our data of the day. Layla, sorry. I think that was the first time we did not have Beyonce, but she will be back. Don't worry. <laughs> Maybe she'll come on this show when she's in Houston. Fingers crossed. Oh, yes, I can. Layla, how are you doing in sunny California today? I'm doing well. I was really enjoying that discussion of, um, you know, of, of college choices and all of the things that accompany it. Um, I always think it's so interesting to hear from, you know, people of different age brackets and how they make decisions about where to go and what to study and all of those things. And I know you have a um, unique college experience or a career exploration experience. What would you tell someone in high school right now who doesn't even know where to start? Oof. Um, <laughs> I I feel like what I would really say, maybe I can't say on the radio. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think I, I think that I mean, I come from a generation where my parental advice didn't necessarily apply, where it was kind of like if you get a bachelor's degree, that is kind of an immediate door opener, which, you know, I think there's data to support the fact that in some ways that's still true. But I think that being really uh, mindful of your investment since college is an extraordinary investment, especially if you're paying for it with loans, um, really thinking about how to get a return on that investment. Um, Cause my bachelor's degree is in philosophy of religion and it didn't exactly open up a ton of doors for me. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, I was very interested in it and it's great to follow your passion, but also be thinking a little bit about, um, how, how you're going to pay off those loans, I think, is a great mm-hmm. thing to do. Not to say you can't figure it out down the road. You know, I'm in the process of figuring it out, I guess. But um, I think that merging your interest with something that is also a good return on your investment might be good advice. That um, is great advice. I appreciate that. I'm sure all of our thousands of high school listeners are <laughs> appreciative of our conversations today. Um, but we are excited for you to tell us, kind of moving forward, about this 41%. I don't know if you heard our absolutely amazing guesses, um, but I don't know if it's right on the dot right now. Yeah, um, so 41%. I did not hear your guesses, um, but only 41% of Texas four-year-olds um, and 7% of three-year-olds are enrolled in a full-day pre-K. We... We're close on the education perspective, but not the pre-K. Can you give a little more insight into Texas pre-K? Yeah. Um, so Texas does provide state-funded pre-K to children, um, but it's based on eligibility. Um, and not a lot of parents meet those eligibility standards. Um, and for the parents that don't meet those eligibility standards, um, they are probably unable to afford the cost of paying out of pocket. Um, there's a big bracket of people who are not low income enough to qualify, but are still low income enough for it to be a major financial hardship. Um, there's long waiting lists for parents who are eligible. Um, and so it's a very kind of complicated issue that has a lot of barriers to access for a lot of parents. Right. And even thinking about the benefits of pre-K going into kinder and beyond, 41% is a low number. We want to encourage districts not only to take advantage and build out their pre-K programs, um, staff permitting, but just looking to there's always these systems and barriers that we can dig more into that it might not necessarily always be availability. Um, What is something else that pre-K provides for working parents that we can think about? Well, I mean, it's it's childcare. Um, I mean, and it obviously is really important for kids' academic outcomes in the long term. You know, it really sets kids up to bridge some of those gaps where kids entering into kindergarten may have. Um, but it enables parents to participate in the workforce um, while their children are receiving a high quality education. Um, so, you know, the cost of pre K is a barrier, but then it also if parents don't have access to full-day pre-K, it diminishes their earning potential. And then as all things lead back to funding, mm-hmm. um, we talk about, again, availability, waitlist, and school districts might have it, but how much do they get funding from the state and where does the state fail our school districts in supporting pre-K programs? 
Yeah, so um, there has been some expansions to how pre-K is funded. Um, however, that funding typically will give uh, districts resources um, to offer half-day pre-K while still while still asking them to offer full-day pre-K. So resources are at a half-day level, but the expectation is for a full day of pre-K. So the state also needs to expand its resource distribution to make sure that it's giving districts the resources that it needs to offer full-day pre-K to more families. Um, So districts are otherwise going to be in a position where they're really struggling um, to allocate that funding to be able to offer that service to families. And can you speak on the early educa- early childhood education allotment and if that is um, something that can fill that gap and if districts might be using it for that gap or for something else? Yeah, so with that allotment, schools do have flexibility. Um, they can invest in any strategy that improves third grade reading and math outcomes, which does include full day pre-K. Um, but school districts are not required to fund full day pre-K with that funding. Um, so one thing that we can do is require that those funds be used to support um, full-day pre-K um, so that we can be sure that those funds are earmarked. They're going to support families that really need that. Right. I am I am hopeful, again, that our Texas legislator will, one, fully fund full-day pre-K, um, even outside of this allotment in the future, as they should fully fund a lot of our education systems and programs. And so I'm going to, I'm going to keep hope and we look forward to the special committee session concluding with some strong outcomes for children. Thank you, Layla. Thanks guys. super fun introduction we have our amazing uh children at risk children at risk this is a tongue twister texas a plus academic performance coach Susanna young how are you Susanna? i'm doing great how are you guys we are awesome i feel like we just welcomed you onto a game show with that music (laughs) so i get to buy a vowel right (laughs) i know i know we don't have any doors for you to choose um, and any prizes behind those doors <laughs> to give you. But we have a really great conversation, which debatably can be better. Um, to start off, I don't know if you were tuning in. We were talking a little bit earlier about boredom. And Sharon, you mentioned, too, about you don't want to drive too much learning in your children's summer. Um, but flipping, we're talking to Susanna about that summer learning loss. Susanna, what do you think about boredom and where is that healthy balance that we were trying to get to of encouraging learning and does that always have to look like reading or writing? So I think when it comes to boredom, right, it, it is good for kids to experience boredom because it promotes creativity, it promotes independent play, right? We want kids to be able to think of ways to entertain themselves on their own. So um, I think a good middle ground between like planning out an entire summer full of educational activities and um, just kind of letting kids do like Free range summer is um, to put out some educational activities, some fun activities, give them some choice in what they want to do that day, but put them out in a way that's like engaging to the kids. So, for example, my son is four and a half, speaking of preschool. Wait, Susanna. And I'm going to pause you for a second. Your voice is fading in and out. I'm not sure if it's on speaker or maybe better on speaker. Okay. Go ahead. Let me try. I can put it on speaker. Hold on one second. You are fine. Is that any better? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, sorry about that. No, you're fine. I was, <laughs> I was saying that 
essentially like trying to find that balance between like complete boredom and um, planning out every minute. Mm -hmm. So to encourage like creativity and independent play, putting out um, some materials that they can be creative with, but that's educational. So um, right now my son is four and a half. So yesterday I planned out like an entire like construction playset, And so he had to like fill work orders, like this many boulders <laughs> goes in the dump truck and you need this many people for a job. So let's count them out together and put them on top of the excavator. And so it was still <laughs> fun. Um, he enjoyed it, but we were doing like the early counting skills. Um, but then like after like 10 minutes of me kind of playing with them, I left him alone. I was like, you can create your own work orders now. Like the boss is off duty. Um, I love that. And I just want you to know if and when I have a child, they're going to go to Susanna Young's summer camp because (laughs) I don't know if I've ever been playing with little kids set up an entire workforce solutions game for them. Well, you know, as a former special ed teacher, one of the things that I used to send home at the end of the school year with some of my students, especially if some of their, um, their needs included things like fine motor skills would just be a list of things that they could play with over the summer so that they didn't lose, you know, muscle tone or, you know, any gains that they had made. And, you know, especially because I I worked a lot with preschools with disabilities. And so things like, um, you know, picking up cotton balls with tweezers helped to keep their riding grip strong over the summer or, you know, things like that. So Susanna, what kind of um, tips do you have for parents who, you know, whose kids, uh, skills that they need to retain over the summer are more than just the reading and the writing. So um, one of the biggest indicators of reading comprehension is a background knowledge in science and social studies. So definitely taking advantage of um, the programs that we have within our local library system and even the museum district. So Houston Public Library and Harris County Public Library offer a lot of partnerships through like the Museum of Natural Science or they'll have somebody come in from the local nature center and um, have kids explore bugs, have them um, practice learning about architecture with, uh, you know, Legos or blocks. And they might have a speaker come in and do science experiments or talk about how a community works. All of those experiences are going to be great for, for kids to build that knowledge of science and social studies before the school year starts. Um, and then I think there's the whole piece of just like executive functioning skills. So teaching kids the importance of um, organizing their time, mm-hmm. right? So if there's something like a project they're really excited about, and if we think about older kids, maybe it's, you know, why don't you write out a concept for your own video game and then think about like how long would it take you to come up with, you know, the design features for each level or if you were in, let's say, Minecraft. Right. Um, You know, and you were giving instructions to somebody, how long would it take them to build a structure or a house and what directions would you give them? Just different ways to make it fun and engaging, but also have kids be aware of time, how much time you spend on something and what order is best. Yeah, I I love both of those things. I remember um, mine was not as structured as that. We just had the family fun magazines that I would go to. Um, but I wanted to plug, thinking of this, I always try to use AI for good because I don't want it to be for bad. Um, but thinking of ChatGPT for the parents that don't have the time or capacity or just the knowledge to create these agendas for their kids or they're working themselves to turn to ChatGPT. And I would ask, can you give me a weekly plan for my kids to learn these skills? These are my resources. Um, I think that'd be a great way for parents to have the Susanna Young and Sharon Jones minds of being able to create these super engaging and informing activities. Susanna, what do you think the impact based on what you've seen in the past two years will be from this summer in learning loss and recuperation for the school year? So there has been some very interesting data that has come out about summer learning loss. So the original study that we used to determine that there were gaps at all was a study in 1982. And it was with one school in Baltimore. It's called the Beginning School Study. Um, And that was a study that found significant gaps. However, the way that we test kids is different 40 years on. And those assessments really vary. Like some assessments say that, you know, there's not that much summer learning loss. Some say that there's 
a significant amount, but both agree that learning slows um, during the summer. So I think when kids come back, there's always that adjustment period of around six weeks where they're kind of like relearning not only like content that they left with at the beginning of last year, last school year, but also just like routines and expectations and um, what the procedures are in the classroom. So there's definitely going to be that like six week adjustment period. And it's just really that fine balance on the school side of making sure that we're doing a good job of reemphasizing those old routines, procedures and content, but not like pushing so far ahead on our academic calendar that we overload kids with new information right from the start. Yeah, I love that. And in our last minute, um, since our listeners are based in Houston, and to help them out, what are at least one or two resources in Houston you would encourage them? Um, For instance, the Children's Museum is free from time block on Thursdays. Yes. Um, So the Children's Museum, your local library has a ton of children's programming, and it's not just during the day. If you're a working parent, they do have activities from 6 to 7 p.m. at night that I would definitely recommend that you take your child to engage with them. Um, there are online learning programs that you can you can do, but you have to do those things with your child. So no matter what activity that you choose, whether it's a library or maybe your school district has something going on or it's an online activity, the point is, is that you've got to be present mm. and talk to them about that activity and really hype it up. <laughs> Because without you, like, everything falls apart. So the biggest thing is just, like, parental encouragement and involvement, um, regardless of the activities that you have offered. But there are lots of free museum days. Um, And also, Google Maps offers free virtual tours, right? You can actually go zoom out to space now and see all of the planets. Hmm. Um, I also highly recommend Books. So it's V-O-O-K-S. It is a digital app, and basically what it does is it takes real published books and it turns it into a video format, which would be great to read and discuss with your child. That is awesome. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for sharing this sentiment that it matters when you do it together and showing up is important for your child's development. And thank you so much for the work you're about to do and doing in our schools to make opportunities stronger for students. Susanna. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for making sure that a variety of voices get heard and advocating for the well-being of children. All right. Have a good day. This music is incredible. <laughs> Rico is really a, a DJ today. Kim Coffrin is on with us. Kim Coffrin is the Senior Director of Education for Children at Risk. Kim, how are you after that wonderful introduction we gave you? <laughs> fantastic. It's fantastic. How are you, ladies? We are great. excited to have the conversation with you around early childhood education ballot initiatives. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. Can you first, for our listeners, give some insight into what that was that I'm talking about with the ballot initiative um, and just in the scope of the issue? Sure. So as we approached um, the legislative session, this which started in January, um, we knew that property taxes was going to be a, a priority of the leadership. And so, and knowing that the early childhood and, and specifically the child care um, uh, industry is in need of financial relief and support um, ongoing as the COVID uh, dollars are going to be um, dissipated and gone at the end of this year, um, we took the opportunity to uh, work with Senator West and Representative Tallarico um, to uh, to get a bill across the line, uh, the finish line that is going to reduce property taxes for child care programs across the state. And any property tax um, change um, or um, uh, 
I guess, yeah, change requires a constitutional amendment. So the bill has been passed. Um, it made it through both chambers and signed by the governor. And so now we will, we are looking at a November ballot initiative um, come November. Yes. And what would this mean for child care centers? So the way this works is the way the bill has been laid out, it, it makes it permissible for a city and county local authorities to give a property tax. So once it crosses the final finish line of, a, of the ballot and the, if we, it makes it through the ballot initiative and we all vote yes for it, then the city and local um, author- tax authorities will have the ability to give a 50 to 100% property tax relief um, for child care centers in their communities. So um, so it's really going to be a community-driven li- conversation um, and really based on what their needs are. And child care providers that take at least 20% of their enrollment are um, children that are, receive uh, child care sc- uh, scholarships through the Texas Workforce Commission will be eligible to apply. That's awesome. Hey, Kim, if I'm, if I'm a voter and I don't have small children and I don't know anyone with a child care center and I'm, I'm standing in the, the ballot box wondering, you know, what's in it for me? What, what do voters like that need to know? You know, I think the you know, thinking about our you know, child care is not different than our public schools initiatives, right? We all care about um, um, our young children and our workforce for tomorrow and making sure that the next generation is educated and cared for and loved and has all the all of their needs met so one they can run the world one day and two take care of us when we're older um, so we, you know making sure that, that all pieces the other thing that is um, really comes to play in child care um, is that child care is the the workforce and the the, the infrastructure behind all other workforces and all other jobs. So if we want our parents and our economy to thrive and our families to thrive, then they need good places for their children to go so they can go back to work and make this economy what it is today. Yeah, I love that you said that. And I I love that you brought that up, Sharon, because it it is a lot of people have the very, um, not a lot, but a few have that tunnel mindset of I am not going to vote or not voting on this because it doesn't impact me. So what would that matter? But like you said, Kim, thinking of almost everywhere you walk into in your day and then your coworkers, at least one will have an imp- it'll impact them as they will or could have a child in that center and they need them to stay open and be supported. Mm-hmm. Thinking of the climate right now of childcare deserts, and you can speak to that for listeners that might know what that is. What would this relief have on the childcare centers? How will it help them thrive and continue to open? Yeah, so child care desert is where there's three times more children um, in the, a community, typically a zip code, than there are child care slots and, and spaces for them to go. So, and we have, we saw a huge growth in our child care deserts, um, which is a bad thing, um, during the during the pandemic. Some of that has been um, uh, improved because we had this big influx of funding from the federal government with their COVID relief dollars. But those dollars are a one-time thing and they're going away. And so as those dollars are eased, are are being spent and are out the door and there's not money coming in after the fact, Um, this property tax is really going to be a, a, hopefully a long-term solution and, 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 Part of the solution. It's not the solution because mm-hmm. um, not all not all child care providers will be able to participate. Um, but but we, we we hope this is really going to be a way for child care uh, facilities to find property tax relief that then they can do two things with those do- extra dollars. One, they can invest in continuing to increase wages for their their child care employers and employees, their educators who are right now making just over $11 an hour, mm-hmm. which is less than $20,000 a year. Um, and two, they can keep prices down and for families. We know child care is expensive. If you even if you haven't had a, ch- a child in child care in a while, you remember those price tags. Yes, um, so, um, <laughs> yes, you do. So, um, so it is it is expensive. So we're hoping that these these savings that p- child care providers can um, anticipate with the property tax relief can then be invested in in their workforce and in their families. Yes, and we are hopeful. And you said that everyone needs to go out in November to vote for this, correct? 
Correct. It's going to be on the general um, about general election ballot. Um, it's not a big election year. There's no big statewide races. Um, so we really want to make sure everyone gets out to vote um, and um, and make sure that they vote for child care um, and, and say yes to making sure our um, our children are taken care of, our families are taken care of, and our economy is taken care of. Awesome. We are excited to hear and we are hopeful that that's going to pass. Um, But we're going to move on. You may have actually already answered some of these, but we're going to pretend that didn't happen because we have all new listeners today. (laughs) And I'm going to let Ava start it off. We have some fun questions for you to go answer. Okay. Um, So the first one is, what was your favorite book to to read slash be read as a child? Oh, as a child, um, favorite book. Um, well, I think I remember the first book I could read on my own um, was Charlotte's Web. So that's always an, uh, a favorite of mine. That that was like the first chapter book that I got through. Um, and I think there was another little book, and I don't remember the name of it, but I remember being in um, we had a fish tank aquarium as a child, and I remember my mom and sitting on my mom's lap with my brother who was 18 months younger than me and her reading this book that had a lamb in it. And I don't remember the name of the book, but I just remember that memory of the fish tank being there, us in the rocking chair reading the book about a lamb. That is very good. I hope one day we find that book again. Um, (laughs) The next question, because we're running short of time, and it's my favorite question. What actress would play you in the movie of your life? Oh, my goodness, Claire. That's mean. Um, uh, I am going to go with... um, it's a hard uh, two question. People came to mind. It is a hard question. Two people came, came to mind. Catherine Zeta-Jones okay. um, or Hannah, and I'm going to butcher her last name, um, the woman who played Rebecca on Ted Lasso. So I have not seen Ted Lasso, but now I'm going to look it up. Oh, Claire. I, I know. I'm, it's on my list. I, um, I don't even have an answer to that question. It's my favorite. But thank you so much, Kim, for coming on. We are excited to hear about this. Again, just because it's so important, listeners, November, please go out and vote and prioritize our child care systems. Sounds good. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a good day, guys. Bye, Kim. Well, I do have an update. So on Instagram, we got the results of our should kids be allowed to be bored during the summer and the answer is yes 80 percent of um yeah folks who answered that question said yes it's okay to have kids have experience a little boredom during the summer and then a couple of folks said no i know i'm curious for the no's and i know how they keep their kids engaged i know 24 hours a day those are the ones that have them in in, enrolled in all of the uh stem camps and (laughs) They will not be bored all summer, I can guarantee. That concludes our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Growing Up in America by Children at Risk. If you enjoyed this discussion, we are here every Wednesday from 12 to 1.